Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Well, here's what I'm thinking this morning. For you and me to treasure Jesus as Lord, the King of the universe, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins, the Word of God who became a human being, for you and me to cherish that Jesus, the real Jesus, we need to know deep down in our heart of hearts that we need a Savior. That Jesus is Lord and King and forgiver and rescuer and creator won't mean anything to me if I think I can save myself. Here's Tim Keller, our buddy TK, founding pastor at Redeemer Church in New York City. I've just recently been reading a little bit about the origins of Buddhism, and I, I, I like Buddhism, and I, I always enjoy the story. And of course, the story, the account is that there was a man named Gautama who was a prince in India, and his father had given him a kind of sheltered life, but he went out four nights in a row. One night, he had the first distressing sight. He saw sickness. The second night, he saw age. The third night, he saw death, and so on. And after that, he decided to figure out the mystery of life, and he sat under a tree. And after he realized that he stood up and he spoke to his disciples and he enunciated the Four Noble Truths. Now, as interesting as the historical events are about Buddha, the historical events around Mohammed, all the historical events tell you is how they learned the way of salvation. But Christianity, in Christianity, the historical events of Jesus' life are the way of salvation. Because other religions say, here's how to reach up to God. Other religions are a philosophy, but Christianity is a gospel. It's saying God's reached down. It's a historic event. What's the historic event? God has broken through. He's broken through. A cleft has been opened in the pitiless walls of the world. There's a concrete slab between the ideal and the real. And the ideal has broken through and become real. God has become human. And he's died on the cross and he was raised from the dead and he's dealt with the barriers of sin and evil between us and God. Historical events of Jesus' life don't explain how he learned the way of salvation. They are the way of salvation. Jesus says it's the poor who get that. In Manhattan, this is the center of the privileged classes, of the cultured classes, of the educated classes. And what you'll find when you go into the churches of Manhattan, and not all of them, of course, but in, in general, in the churches, you'll find that you'll hear this. We are a Christian church, they say, but we're, not, we're very modern in that we have discarded many of the doctrines, the doctrines of the virgin birth, of the atonement, of the miracles. Those things really aren't important. They're not essential. The idea of Jesus dying on the cross under the wrath of God, the atonement, those things aren't as essential. We believe in the essential of Christianity, and that is we follow the teachings of Jesus. We follow his teachings against materialism, against hate, against selfishness. That's the important thing. And that's what you're going to hear in Manhattan. But when you go out of the center city into the inner city, and you go into those churches, it's a very different kind of Christianity. It's a frankly supernatural Christianity. They talk about the blood. They talk about miracles. They talk about the resurrection. They talk about these things. Why the difference? The average person in Manhattan believes the reason that the churches in the center city are different than the churches in the inner city is those people aren't as educated as we are. They don't have our insights. They, they haven't known how to sort of bring Christianity up to date, getting rid of the doctrine and concentrating on the teaching. Jesus says, no, our pride's offended. Because you see, privileged people, educated people, cultured people, we believe we're self-made. We believe that we're where we are simply because we worked very hard. But the poor know that it doesn't work that easily. The poor know 
that it's grace. The poor know that we're not in control of our lives. The poor know how much, how many of the factors that put us in the place where we are today, so many of the factors that put us where we are today are not because of what we did, but because of what God gave us. And when the poor hear the historic events, atonement, incarnation, resurrection, they see it as good news. When the educated person says the important thing is the teaching, not the doctrines, what you mean is, I don't need a savior, I just need an example. I don't need these historic events to break through and destroy the barriers between me and God. I can do it myself. We can be good enough. Goodness is enough as long as you're a good enough person. What you've done is you've taken the heart out of Christianity. And Jesus says it's because of your class consciousness, because you don't want to see what the poor see. And that is, we need intervention from God if we're going to be saved. Jesus is not saying, and I'm not saying, that all poor people are saved and all educated people are not. What he's saying is this. He says... Look at the reason why the poor historically and as a class has tended to re rejoice in original Christianity and why the culture classes have for centuries tried to turn it from a gospel into a philosophy. He says, look at the reasons and ask, are those things in your heart? Is your religion just a religion or is it a gospel? Is your religion a concept or is it a power? And he says, if you want to know, the poor is the test. It's the poor who meet Jesus. It's the people who know they're no different than the poor who meet Jesus. It's the people who have an understanding of Christianity that gives them absolute hope and compassion and love for the broken and the poor of this world who show that they have met Jesus. Our buddy Tim Keller, founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. And, you know, this just sort of hits me in the heart because I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe he's the Savior. He's the King. He's the Word of God who became a human being to save me and rescue me. But in real life... Am I looking to Jesus as just a teacher mm. and, you know, I'm a self-made man and I can do this? Or in my real life and real heart, am I realizing how much I need a Savior, which is who Jesus is. He's the King. He's the Savior. He's the Rescuer. And I need that Rescuer. But in real life, I need to live that out, not be this person who's, I've got this. I can earn my way. You know, I'm my own Lord and Savior. Yeah. This is hitting me this morning. I've got a huge week ahead of me. A lot of additional things on my regular, you know, there's the regular week, the stuff that always just kind of keeps you busy. And then there's those additional things. I have so many of those additional things this week that I feel overwhelmed at my schedule. And I felt it like coming up inside of me yesterday, just getting really, really anxious and you know, somebody said something and I just got my feelings hurt like immediately. And just, and where that comes from is feeling like I have to be on top of my game. And if I'm, if I slip at all, like I don't have room to slip this week. <laughs> I can't, I can't be less than I have to be all that and a bag of chips. Like you yeah. don't understand. And so getting any kind of criticism whatsoever made my heart just feel like I'm going to fail. Hmm. I'm just not going to make it, you know? Yeah. And that is all about the, I have to pull myself up by my own bootstraps mentality, you know, rather than understanding that it's complete reliance on God. It's, it's total surrender. It's not even, you know, Lord, help me give me a boost in this area. It's like fall flat on your face. Like I need, I need a savior. I need saving. I, I need you, you know? Yeah. Lord Jesus, we repent of being our own Lord and Savior, and we realize, Lord, we're needy, and we're poor, and we're broken, 
and we're desperate. And thank you, Lord, for bringing desperation into our lives to show us that we're, we're not in control. We don't have this, but you have this. It's no longer Christ who lives. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I, in my quiet time, I have like a regular daily reading plan of scripture and I just tiptoed into James. So in my Bible reading and James is so blunt. I love James, but if you tend to complain, James is a real kick in the pants. So listen to this, James 1, 3, beginning of the chapter, right? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I got to tell you, when I'm facing trials of many kinds, I do not go right to joy. In fact, I feel pretty justified in complaining about my circumstances when there's a lot going on and I'm overwhelmed. But this verse reminds us God is refining our character through the trials. We're learning perseverance, which brings about maturity in us. So here's a question. What if we stop complaining? I'm serious. If you're like totally justified in complaining, it's right, it's good, it's all right there in front of you, and you just chose not to. You just didn't. What if we didn't complain for an entire month, fasting from complaining, and how would that impact your life? What if you stopped internally criticizing your spouse? What if you stopped complaining about your kids? What if you stopped complaining about your job? What if you stopped complaining about your parents? Yeah. What if you stopped criticizing your body? What if you stopped comparing yourself to other people? What if you stopped focusing on what you can't do and focused on what you can do? What if you stopped complaining about the weather? I am so guilty of that one. Picture yourself living that way. What does life look like that way? Never saying anything negative or whiny about your circumstances, even if you're totally justified, how would that change your relationships? How would it change your household? What what does home look like when you're not doing that or your workplace, your life in general? So here's my challenge. It is November and for the entire month of November, I will be abstaining from complaining and I'm inviting you to join me in this journey. No complaining from now until December 1, all the way through the end of the month. And I'll be honest with you in my journey about when it's going well and when I'm struggling. So this is not like fasting from food because when you fast from food, then you are just excited about eating again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is not that. We're not, not gonna, like that. Yeah, it's not like just come December 1, we just bleh, <laughs> say all the yucky stuff we've been hiding for 30 days. No, 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 no. We're looking to create a new habit. It's actually about changing the way that you think. Instead of letting those negative thoughts just kind of ruminate and grow and you know feeding them and letting them fester, we're going to stop them. We're just mm-hmm. going to stop them dead in their tracks. We're going to shut it down and we're going to start giving thanks. That's what it's all about. We're going to shut them down. I'm going to shut it down. All right. So if you want in on the abstaining from complaining challenge, if you want to join me, we had a, I posted this on Facebook and somebody said, how about five days? Hey, it's (laughs) It's better than a good start. Yeah. It's better than nothing. Right. But it's a whole month. And if you want to join 
the Abstaining from Complaining Challenge. Just text the word challenge to 800-968-8930 and I will send you some encouragement along the way. Just the word challenge to 800-968-8930. Hey, if you're somebody who's just sort of checking out this Jesus way of life from a distance. So glad you're listening. And just hang with me on what I'm about to share. If Jesus is more than just a nice guy, more than just a prophet, more than just an amazing moral teacher, if Jesus is who he claims to be, the Lord, the Word of God who became a human being, the one who had to die and rise to save us from our selfishness and sin, if he really is the king and the savior, and I give my life over to him, he's going to mess up my plans for my life. He's going to clean the house. He's going to turn all the tables over. If I give my life over to him, it means nothing short of unconditional surrender. So hear me out. Here's Tim Keller, founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. Jesus says you will never receive the kingdom of God unless you see that it will change everything. It will bring absolute upheavals. Because if I am who I say I am, if I am the Lord of history, not a teacher, not a nice guy, not a nice teacher with proposals, if I am the Lord of history, if I am the Lord of heaven, if he's the one to whom the stars, to us a star is a world a universe of exploding, flaming gases. But if Jesus Christ, the one to whom the stars are like pieces of lint, if he is who he says he is, then if he comes down into our lives, he changes everything. You can't ask someone like that into your life to be your secretary. You can't ask a person like that to come into your apartment like you bring a cat in. You put the cat in a corner and nothing else changes. And when anyone comes to Jesus thinking and saying, I'd like to become a Christian, But will he help me be the lawyer I want to be and get through law school? Will he help me find the man or woman of my dreams? Will he help me? Jesus says, you're not not thinking. You're being a coward. Don't you see, if I come into your life, everything will be changed. Your perspective on everything will be changed. No one comes, even begins to understand me, unless you're ready for an adventure. And that's putting it, adventure, very mildly. Your priorities, everything will be changed. All bets are off. If you're even going to be open to Jesus, you have to say, if he is who he says he is, everything will change. But you see, there's another side. You see, Jesus, look, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, you know what? I've been thinking about Christianity because I know I need a little something extra. I mean, I know that I, that I have some needs. I know that I'm having trouble just, I need more strength. I need something over the hump. But, you know, if you're trying to rope me in, you're doing a very bad job of it. When you tell me I've got to be ready for these incredible changes, you've turned me off. You know, I don't want this sort of thing. You see, I don't need it. But you see, Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he hasn't endured himself. Jesus is saying, you're telling me that you like this idea of me breaking through and saving you and all these. You want Jesus and a nice little life? My dear friend, in order for me to come to you, I have had to suffer violence. For me to come to you, I've given up my nice little life. The violence of divine justice is going to come down on me. I'm going to be nailed. I'm going to be speared. I'm going to be killed. And to come to you, I suffered the violence of death. And all I'm asking for you to do is, if you come to me, to suffer the violence of life. What's that? Surgery. If you go to a surgeon and you say, heal me, 
and she puts you under the, under the knife. She's healing you with the violence of life. You've got to be totally vulnerable to her. You know, you've got to be totally still. You've got to give her total control. But it's not the violence of death. It's the violence of life. Jesus Christ says, don't you see? Look at the upheavals I have had to go through in order to come to you. And you don't want to go through any in order to come to me? <laughs> in fact, I must tell you, when I talk to somebody after service, one of the Q&A times, and I see they're upset, agitated even, kind of worried and bothered and upset by what they've heard, agitated and kind of confused by Christianity, <laughs> it's a good sign. It's much better than the smug person that says, well, of course I believe in Christianity. There's no use getting excited about it. You know, I've been following Jesus for quite a long time, and, and he has messed with my plans for my life. But what keeps me following him is what Tim Keller is talking about, that, you know, Jesus said to me, my life for yours. Mm -hmm. I give my life for yours, and I haven't found any greater love than that. And there is no greater love than that, that a Savior would come to me who's undeserving and say, my life for yours, the least I can give is my life back. And so why do I still hold on to my life and try to figure out, you know, what my plan should be? And I'm just being real. I have to keep letting go of my plans and, and Jesus just continues to surprise me. Like Friday, I've got, a, I've got a heart cath, and there might be some kind of a blockage in my heart. Now, I didn't, I didn't really sign on for that one. And, you know, compared to what you're going through, that's probably nothing. But it, it's, it's showing me that I need a Savior in a very real-life way, mm-hmm. you know. I need a Savior when it comes down to taking my next breath and, you know, nobody else, nothing else is going to say my life for yours. So, so I'm in, but I'm still needing to let go. This whole, you know, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, it is also believing, confessing that you are not, you know, that I am not, I am not Lord. So I step down from the throne of my life. Jesus, take your rightful place And the experience of my life has been just time and time again, needing to be reminded of that, like daily needing to be reminded that I am not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so to speak that out, to look him in the face, to regularly come in contact with him is a regular reminder for me to step down. Mm -hmm. Jesus, you are Lord and we are not. And that's a good thing. Because, again, we can't even take the next breath without you giving it to us. And, and you have said to us, your promise is that you've come to give us life and life to the full. And that doesn't mean cars and riches and wealth and fame. It means life. It means things the way they were created to be. That living under your reign and your lordship and your rulership is life-giving. And so we surrender again. We are talking about meeting the real Jesus this week. And one of the scriptures that just came to the surface for me in in thinking about this and, and finding Jesus and meeting the real Jesus and having an experience with him is Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I do think that there are times when we feel like 
um, approaching God, there's a gap, you know, there's a gap between us and him. And we feel like, man, you know, I don't know that I can step right into your presence, that, that you're going to be satisfied with who I am and what I bring. And so we create distance between us, not knowing or not realizing how much God loves us and the lengths he went to to cover our sin and to close that gap so that we could be in relationship with him. So he's not a God who's hiding from us. He's a God who longs for us to draw near to him, climb up on his lap and spend some time with him. Mm-hmm. So seek me is just, you know, not working up a bunch of energy and, and trying to get God to listen to me. It's just realize that, that God wants me to, God wants me to come to him, but it mm-hmm. does take some effort not earning, but it takes some effort to to just draw near to him and, and really believe that he is who he says he is, that he's a God of love, to, to really believe that his heart is for me and he wants me to come to him. It's a relationship. Yeah. It's not a transaction. Mm-hmm. It's a relationship. And and God is just, you know, he's he's in this relationship with us and he I guess he wants to know if we really if we really mean it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to sound strange at first, but just hang with me. Okay. So we got new phones over the summer and with the phones, new plans and the plans had like Hulu plus and Disney plus and ESPN plus or whatever that came along with the plan. So those, when we signed up for the plan, all of those were accessible to us, but we weren't using any of it. And my son was like, Hey, did you guys know that we have this with the plan? And we're like, ah, yeah, we never, you know, we never accessed it. Hmm. But it was there. It was rightfully ours. We could have got it at any given time. So take switch this on over to our relationship with Jesus. Seeking him isn't about earning the right. It's not about, you know, we're already saved because of what Jesus did. That mm-hmm. is our mm-hmm. truth. The gospel is news, not advice. We talk mm-hmm. about this a lot, right? But there is an access available to us of relationship with him that once that was made possible through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. But it does take our activating, our seeking him out, right? Our mm-hmm. calling on his name to nurture that relationship. I think of Jesus' words, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And I think he's talking about relationship there. Yeah. Ask for more of me. You know, seek for more of me, knock on the door, be be a kind of person who takes hold of God's kingdom, you know, and just really presses into who we are in Christ and, and what we're called to do on this planet, which is to bless the world. That's our that's our calling to be a blessing to the world. But we got to draw near to God first so that we can be filled up so that we can then give out what he gives us. Yeah. John Mark Comer says, you know, we can't we maybe we can't change the the desires of our heart. We can't change our emotions and our fleshly longings, but we can change our habits. And the more we spend time with God, the more we become like him. And the fleshly habits grow weak as we grow spiritually strong. If Jesus is more than just a nice guy, more than just a prophet, more than just an amazing moral teacher, if Jesus is who he claims he is, the Lord, the Word of God who became a human being, the one who had to die and rise to save us from our selfishness and sin, If he really is the king and the savior, and I give my life over to him, 
He's going to mess up my plans. That's what I've learned. He's going to clean house. He's going to turn the tables over. If I give my life over to him, it means nothing short of unconditional surrender. Here's Tim Keller. He's the founding pastor of Redeemer Church in New York City. Jesus says you will never receive the kingdom of God unless you see that it will change everything. It will bring absolute upheavals. Because if I am who I say I am, if I am the Lord of history, not a teacher, not a nice guy, not a nice teacher with proposals, if I am the Lord of history, if I am the Lord of heaven, if he's the one to whom the stars, to us a star is a world a universe of exploding, flaming gases. But if Jesus Christ, the one to whom the stars are like pieces of lint, if he is who he says he is, then if he comes down into our lives, he changes everything. You can't ask someone like that into your life to be your secretary. You can't ask a person like that to come into your apartment like you bring a cat in. You put the cat in a corner and nothing else changes. And when anyone comes to Jesus thinking and saying, I'd like to become a Christian, But will he help me be the lawyer I want to be and get through law school? Will he help me find the man or woman of my dreams? Will he help me? Jesus says, you're not not thinking. You're being a coward. Don't you see, if I come into your life, everything will be changed. Your perspective on everything will be changed. No one comes, even begins to understand me unless you're ready for an adventure. And that's putting it, adventure, very mildly. Your priorities, everything will be changed. All bets are off. If you're even going to be open to Jesus, you have to say, if he is who he says he is, everything will change. But you see, there's another side. You see, Jesus, look, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, you know what? I've been thinking about Christianity because I know I need a little something extra. I mean, I know that I, that I have some needs. I know that I'm having trouble just, I need more strength. I need something over the hump. But, you know, if you're trying to rope me in, you're doing a very bad job of it. When you tell me I've got to be ready for these incredible changes, you've turned me off. You know, I don't want this sort of thing. You see, I don't need it. But you see, Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he hasn't endured himself. Jesus is saying, you're telling me that you like this idea of me breaking through and saving you and all these. You want Jesus and a nice little life? My dear friend, in order for me to come to you, I have had to suffer violence. For me to come to you, I've given up my nice little life. The violence of divine justice is going to come down on me. I'm going to be nailed. I'm going to be speared. I'm going to be killed. And to come to you, I suffered the violence of death. And all I'm asking for you to do is, if you come to me, to suffer the violence of life. What's that? Surgery. If you go to a surgeon and you say, heal me, and she puts you under the the knife, she's healing you with the violence of life. You've got to be totally vulnerable to her. You know, you've got to be totally still. You've got to give her total control. But it's not the violence of death. It's the violence of life. Jesus Christ says, don't you see? Look at the upheavals I have had to go through in order to come to you. And you don't want to go through any in order to come to me? (laughs) In fact, I must tell you, when I talk to somebody after service in one of the Q&A times, and I see they're upset, agitated even, kind of worried and bothered and upset by what they've heard, agitated and kind of confused by Christianity, (laughs) it's a good sign. It's much better than the smug person that says, well, of course I believe in Christianity. There's no use getting excited about it. Jesus, when he comes into our lives, he messes with us. He messes with our plans. 
but he gives us the life that we long for. Uh, Shauna, this makes me think of what C.S. Lewis said once. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the floor and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But now he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts deeply Mm -hmm. and does not seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a cute little cottage, but he is building a palace. Wow. And, you know, it hurts. That hurts for Jesus to come in and, and break down what I thought it should be. But he's he's doing something good. It makes me think of the scripture that says that, you know, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. If I were to create my own boundary lines, they would be so tight. They would be just so right around me, you know, like a turtle shell. And God creates these boundary lines for us that are good. And this whole idea of just needing needing God to step into your life so that he can fix the areas in your life. If you really think about it, God, what would you want? What would, you know, what do you want him to fix in you? It's probably going to be how other people are responding to you. Do you know what I mean? A lot of our prayers about Lord, help him to understand. Lord, help her to be more kind. Lord, help them to think this way. And the work that he's doing is internal. Mm-hmm. It's in our life. It's he gets so up in our business for our good and for our love, and he changes us. Jeremiah 29, 13 came to mind in regards to this conversation. It says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Yeah, this passage is is really fascinating when you look. I mean, not just fascinating as in, you know, it's a mental exercise, but it's really, it really challenges the heart when you look at it in context. So God's people are in captivity in Babylon, and this is the context of the passage. And the Lord says to them, when 70 years are completed in Babylon for your sins, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Then verse 11 I know the plans I have for you, Mm -hmm. declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So God's plans are good. It's going to take 70 years, though, to get back to the land. But God's plans are still good. Then it says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, your verse that you Mm -hmm. just mentioned, Shauna. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you. I'll bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And so this passage in the context of what's going on here is God is saying, I want to change your hearts in Babylon. I want you to really come back to me with your heart, Mm. you know, You're in Babylon, you're in captivity, you're in exile because your heart's wandered from me and I want your heart, you know, because I love you and I've redeemed you 
and you're mine. And I want you to experience the joy of relationship with me. And so it just makes me wonder, you know, how many times God puts me in exile? Mm. How many God, times God puts me in, in places that I don't want to be? And he's saying, you're going to sit there because I love you so much and I want your heart to change. And it, it just seems like it takes, it takes exile for my heart to change. Yeah. That's true. I mean, I'm, I feel that you think of one incidence in life when that has happened, where you were like in a yucky spot and you're like, this is not where I want to be. I want out, but God was doing something good. Absolutely. How many, how many times, you know, (laughs) what do I choose from? But I do remember being at Lake Tahoe and with friends there and just really wrestling with shame in my life and just remembering the sins of the past and just being overwhelmed by them. Mm -hmm. And then driving through Death Valley on the way back to Phoenix when we lived in Phoenix. And literally at the same time I'm driving through Death Valley, feeling the death to my own efforts to save myself. The Lord put me in that place of just being so overwhelmed by my sins so that he could root out of my heart the ways in which I was still trying to save myself. Hmm. And there I am in the desert, dying to my self-salvation. And in the desert, the Lord spoke his promise to me, promise of resurrection. So that's just, it's happened a lot of times. Yeah. And here's the thing. It's the, the sculpting of our heart is for the good, like a surgeon, right? Who who, you know, you go under the knife and it's like in any other circumstance, you would not want anyone to take a knife to you. But if that person is bringing about healing, if they're taking out what doesn't belong and making you well, it's actually a good thing Mm. in that way. You know, death is our friend because when we die to ourself and we are united with Christ in his death and then the hope of that and the resurrection, and that's that whole lengthy verse that this verse comes out of that, that lengthy part of scripture is, you know, a big story, right? It's 70 years. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. This isn't going to be over tomorrow. You're going to sit here in this space, but I am going to take you out of Babylon and I'm going to bring you back home. Like Mm -hmm. it's a story of hope and of promise. Yeah. And it's also a promise that in Babylon, they're going to get what they really long for, which is God. Thanks for listening to Barry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.